this is the way everybody likes to hear a message start out, so I thought I would just use it. Today, I will be a bearer of bad news. Doesn't everybody go, oh man, this is a message. I'm so glad I came today. I'm going to be a bearer of bad news. Now, we're not going to end up with bad news. We're going to start off with bad news. Now, bad news can oftentimes turn into good news. For instance, let's say you've been gimping around, limping, because your ankle hurts. And so you finally get tired of hurting for week after week after week. So you go to the doctor, they x-ray it, and they say, okay, well, you've got a, a fracture and a bone in your ankle, and it's starting to heal up bad, and we're going to have to fix that thing so you can be pain-free and walk right. Well, that's bad news, but at least you know you don't have to limp around for the rest of your life in pain that there is a remedy for it. Well, the problem I'm going to reveal to you, there is a remedy for it. The, the problem is this. Are you ready? We Christians don't know our Bibles. That's a problem. It's a big problem. In fact, biblical, what they call biblical literacy, knowledge of scriptures has been on the decline for decades. And it seems like every time I read a report, it's, it's an all-time low. And I think, seriously, how much lower can we get? You know, it just keeps going down. And so there is a remedy for that, and we need to know God's word. See, we, we talked for a couple weeks about God's mission. God's mission doesn't change, but the vision, how to fulfill the mission, can vary. We studied that out, so you have some truth and some knowledge about that, but you've got to hold on to it, because there's a blessing to holding on to truth. But then also James, the brother Jesus, said this. He said, if you will... Learn the word and do the word, you'll be blessed in all of your deeds. I, th I think I say that so often to myself and to you that sometimes our eyes glaze over, but I want you to hear that. If you will hear and do God's word, you will be blessed in everything you do. Wow, that's pretty powerful. You'll be blessed in everything you do. So we've got to get the word, keep the word. In fact, I think it's Mark 4, Luke 8, has the parable of the sower sowing seed. Now, when it talks about sowing, we're not talking about needle and thread. We're talking about broadcasting or scattering seed. So the sower sows this seed. And in Mark 4 and in Luke 8, both those gospels have that story. And it tells us that the person who retains that word, the person who gets that word, clings to that word, holds on to that word, that person will produce a harvest. They will be fruitful. They will bear crops. And harvest is always a good thing. So we get the word of God, we hold on to it, we cling to it, we become doers of it, we produce a harvest, we're fruitful, and we're blessed in all of our deeds. But we got to really hold on to that. Now, I'm going to tell you some truth. And if you believe these things, and I do, I want you to think the logical progression here. First of all, our God is creator and Lord of all. There's nothing that exists that he did not create. There's stuff that we don't even know exists that exists. Humanity is always catching up with the wisdom and knowledge of God. I don't know if this kind of stuff blows your mind, but it blows my mind. I can kind of see in an infinite galaxy that things keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger.
But you know that scientists have discovered that every time they can create an instrument that can see things that are smaller, there are things there. They believe that things go on in infinity smaller. I mean, it's like, what? I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. Just the idea of atoms and and neutrons and electrons and protons, and they keep they can find smaller and smaller and smaller things. Anytime we can figure out how to glimpse into what God's up to, we find something amazing. So God is infinite, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's ever-present, he's from everlasting to everlasting, which any direction you look, God always has been, always will be. It's like, wow. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't do. When you think about that, this is why the word of God is so important. Because God possesses all knowledge and all wisdom. Since he possesses all knowledge and all wisdom, he's never on a learning curve. You know how we're on a learning curve? We're always learning something. If you pay attention to science or technology or anything like that, you will discover that they're always having what's called breakthroughs. We had a medical breakthrough. What's that mean? We now know something we didn't know. Every time we figure out something that we now know that we didn't know, we also learned that several of the things that we said were facts aren't facts. The things that we taught you were absolutely true are not true. I've discussed those things before in, in the, in the um, uh, Tour de France. They, the medical, I even showed a picture at one time, they believed that if you would smoke cigarettes as you hit hilly sections, it, it actually increased the, the oxygen level to your lungs and you could climb hills better. And so they got pictures of people, and I showed a photo of that picture. You know, teams are getting up, they're all lighting up and they're smoking because they're getting ready to climb a hill. And, and now we now know that's a really bad idea. But at the time, that was cutting edge science. That was cutting edge sports science. And so we start discovering stuff. Now, am I anti-science? No, I love science. I love, God created science, but we like good science, not bad science. I'll never forget this. A medical doctor was on TV and being interviewed. And he said that in his last year of college, he was uh, in a class where a professor said this. He said, I want you all to know this. Half of everything we have taught you is wrong. The bad news is, we don't know which half. Now, that is true, because there's always breakthroughs. And so when there's breakthroughs, we discover, oh, what we thought wasn't... You know, there was a time not so long ago that they didn't believe in germs. And when the germ theory came up, people were saying, that's ridiculous. That's not real. Do you know how many times I had to sit on the poolside for a half hour because the science of the day was that if I jumped in after eating, I would get cramps and drown, which they now say that's not true. Uh, so there's all this stuff. But see, what's cool about God is he's not on a learning curve. He has all knowledge. If just like that we could have all medical truth and knowledge disposed to us, we would never have a medical breakthrough because we would know it all. And whatever procedures we would start doing medically, we would never change. Why? Because we know it all. Now, we don't know it all, but you see what I'm saying? If, we, if all of a sudden we knew it all, there would not be any breakthroughs because we would know it all. Guess what? 
God's a know-it-all. He knows it all. Now, the world, because we're so used to changing and adapting and adjusting, we think that's the way God ought to operate. And so we say, well, you know, this is the year 2023 now, so we can't think like we used to 100 years ago. We can if it's God. We can if it's the Lord, because his knowledge is steadfast. The Lord said this, that his word is forever settled in heaven. The Bible says this about God, that I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Hmm. So God is, he's, he's fixed in his knowledge, his power, his wisdom, all those things. So he's never saying, you know what, guys, I got a different idea for us today because I didn't know this a few years ago, but now I know. He knows it all. So his word's forever settled in heaven. So we can trust his word. And his word that worked in the year 1023 still works in 2023, and should the earth survive, which we all wonder whether it will, but should the earth survive for another thousand years, his word will still be good in 3023 because it's complete, absolute knowledge and wisdom. So we, we can trust God. Now, there is something that we have to wonder about God, though. He may be all-knowing and all-powerful and all-wise, but is he trustworthy? That really is a question. It was one of the attacks of Satan in the garden. Hey, Eve, I just want you to know this. God's trying to hold you back. God doesn't want you to live your best life now. He's got better ideas, or I've got better ideas than God's. And what God's really trying to do is keep you from reaching your full potential. But if you'll just listen to me, because you'll not die when you eat that fruit, what will happen is you'll be like God. And she believed that. And Adam believed that, and they sinned, and the world immediately became broken. Sin came into the world. Death came into the world. It broke everything. It broke uh, the ecosystem. It broke, it broke the plant world. It broke the animal. It broke human beings. It broke everything. Everything was broken. And Adam and Eve, perfect man and woman, could not figure out how to save a perfect man and woman with any of the things that were available to them because there was nothing available to rescue them. So no other human being could figure it out over time either. So what happened is God did what we couldn't do. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Bible says that the Word became flesh, the Word was God, the Word became flesh, he dwelt among us, we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and... We celebrate it every year. We call it Christmas, where God clothed himself in flesh. And all of a sudden, this child is fully God and fully human. Fully God, fully human. Mind-blowing. But we're now going to have a perfect person to win back a perfect fallen race. Hmm. So what we begin to discover is that God, we really have nothing God has to have. We really have nothing that, wow, I really got to take this from you. So we can trust that God, since he possesses all and knows all, that he's not lacking in anything. So there's nothing. We don't have to ask, what are you up to, God? How are you trying to take advantage of me? Where are you trying to rip me off? What's going on? Why are you telling me to do that? I think you're up to something. You're trying to rob me of my joy or peace or happiness or whatever. No, he's not. In fact, Jesus declares 
that there's some reasons I came. One of the reasons is he came to seek and save those who were lost. Another reason he came was that he might undo what the thief wants to do, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. Have it overflowing. I like the Amplified Classic Edition. It says that you might have a rich and satisfying life. What a beautiful line. Jesus said, that's one of the purposes I came. And so, since we know we don't have anything he has to steal from us, because people get taken advantage of because you or I might have something they want, so they're willing to trick us, deceive us, do whatever to, to get our money. I don't know if you ever got these. I have. I've gotten emails that said, hey, uh, your friend, you know, I'll get an email, you know, John Doe, who all knows a friend of mine, is stranded somewhere overseas and needs money, you know, so I don't know why this works. So what I do is I call John Doe, and they say, no, I'm sitting at home watching TV. Well, they will go to extremes to try to get money from you because they want to take advantage of you. God does have, he doesn't have to take advantage of us. He has it all, owns it all. In fact, let's look at this out of, out of the book of Acts. Acts has this beautiful passage here. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord, capital L, Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He doesn't need anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Everything you have comes from the gracious good hand of God. Your life, your breath, the clothes you're wearing, the transportation you have, the food you eat, it all comes from him. So we don't have anything he has to steal from us. In fact, just the opposite, he's giving us every good thing. So it's important that we understand that because when God's word brings us everything and we begin to understand God fully, then we know, you know what? It's critical that I become a disciple. Now, remember what Jesus said? He said, here's what I want you to do. Go. Go make disciples of all people groups. Baptize new believers. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. We're to go and make disciples, so we should be disciples. If we're going to go make disciples, then we should first be disciples, and we want to talk about that. Because ignorance of God's word, ignorance of God's word will cost us. Satan will take advantage of you. He will lie to you. He is a liar. He tells half-truths, uh, distorted Bible verses. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He said when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. The truth is not in him. He doesn't tell the whole truth. He'll tell partial truth, but he won't tell the whole truth. And Paul, the guy who wrote so much of the New Testament, said, I will not be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he gain an advantage over me. And his main scheme, the devil, is to tell you a lie. So, ignorance is expensive. Ignorance is costly. People are taken advantage of because we don't know what to believe. And I told you this last week, that there was an era, and I'm not sure it exists today, that if you were trying to peddle something or sell an idea or a product, if you could connect a Bible verse to it, that gave it real credibility. I remember I was about 20 years old. I was over to a friend's house. 
the parents who were believers, the families believers, they got something through the mail. I was going to say this the way they used to try to sell things, but according to my mailbox, they still try to sell things through the mail. And so this thing had come, and it was a promotion to buy incense. And the hook to it was this. You got a lot of things you would like to have in life. I bet you say a lot of prayers. You want God to bless you. You want God to heal you. You want God to help you. You want God to give you a promotion. You want God to give you that house. You want God to give you lots of stuff. And so they quoted a Bible verse out of Revelation, the 8th chapter. If you read the first few verses of Revelation, chapter 8, you would find out that that verse mentions angels, and these angels have lots of incense. They're burning the incense, and it gets mingled with the prayer of the saints. And so it said, if you will buy our incense, now it was 10 times the price of any place else you could buy incense, but if you will buy our incense, you can burn this while you're praying, and God will answer your prayers. And I remember... The, the dad said, hey, Tracy, look at this. What do you think? I mean, there's a Bible verse on this. I said, there is a Bible verse about angels, prayer, incense, and God, but it doesn't say buy these people's incense. But people, Satan loves to distort and trick people and likes to use the word to do it if he can. If you notice, Satan used the word when he's tempting Jesus. He goes, he gives a temptation, Jesus gives the word. He gives a temptation, Jesus gives the word. Satan says, this must work pretty good. So he takes him up on the high pinnacle of the temple, said, why don't you throw yourself off of here? Because it is written, and he quotes the Bible accurately. It is written, throw yourself off of here, because the Bible says, it is written, that he'll send his angels to protect you. So much so, this would be a way a modern-day translation said, that you won't even trip over a stone. The angels will protect you. But if you remember what Jesus said, Jesus said, and it is also written, because there is something that we call the whole counsel of God, not just one little perverted verse, but you put it all together. Well, this one group called the Barna Group, they're a Christian organization that, does like Gallup polls. They take polls all the time. Here's a Barna Group survey. 56% of Christians tell Barna Group that their spiritual life is entirely private. Now, the Barna Group does a really good job, about the best job you can, at trying to smoke out whether these people really are Christians, not just that they say they are, but they have a whole survey that you have to go through to see if you qualify as what they would consider a Christian. And so 56% of Christians say that their spiritual life is totally private. Now, I want you to know this, because we're learning today. You're, you're being discipled today. Guess what? That's not biblical, that our spiritual lives are private. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. But see, what Satan does is he'll say, well, but remember, there's a Bible verse that says, when you go pray... Close yourself in a closet and pray. When you give, do it in secret. See, God must want everything to be done in secret. Really, if you learn the whole counsel of God, it says, if you're doing these things just to be seen of men, if that's your reward, then go pray in secret. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, obviously. Jesus did it. So our faith is very, how are you going to go into all the world and share the good news of Jesus if it's very private? It's not very private, it's very public. And our faith, even when we baptize people, I, I, I tell people, you're going public. You're going public with your faith. 
You're telling the whole world, I'm unashamed to be a believer. I'm going public with my faith. There's nothing to be ashamed about about being a follower of Jesus. Now, the next stat is that two in five, 39 to 40% of Christians shared they aren't engaged in discipleship at all. So I want to define discipleship from a Christian perspective. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. Let's look at the next slide. There we go. A disciple is a student who grows to be more like Jesus. Are you a student who's growing to be more like Jesus? I believe you can be a Christian and not be being discipled, but we should be disciples. A student who's growing to be more like Jesus by learning and obeying his word, following his example, and sharing what they've learned from others. I read a story of a rabbi who was taking a handful of American um, tourists in Israel on a little sightseeing trip and educating them. And they were very interested when they found out he was a rabbi. So I said, we really, you know, us in America don't really totally understand the rabbi-student, you know, thing, so explain that to us. And so he explained it to him for a while. And uh, he told these, in fact, this people who go to Israel often called pilgrims. And so he's telling these tourists or pilgrims a little bit about it. He said, let's walk to the next site and we can talk about it some more. So they're walking along to the next site. And as they're walking, the rabbi stops and he bends down. He picks up a rock and he studies it, looks at it, sticks it in his pocket, and walks on. They get to the next site and the rabbi says, show me your rocks. And he said, what do you mean show Show me the rock you picked up. And he said, we didn't pick up any rocks. He said, did you not see me stop, look at a rock, examine a rock, pick up a rock, look at the rock, put the rock in my pocket? And they said, yes, we did. But we didn't know you wanted us to pick up a rock. And he said, exactly. That's why I'm not your rabbi and you are not my students. Because a true rabbi, student, disciple the disciples would have stopped and picked up a rock. Now, they may have said, I have no idea why I'm doing this. I have no idea, but they would pick it up. Now, honestly, they may get to the end of it and say, hey, Rabbi, we picked up the rocks. What do you want to do with them? You say, I don't want to do anything with them. I just thought one looked cool, and I'm going to take it home to my son tonight. That might have been all there was, but since they didn't know, they said, I'm going to emulate, I'm going to copy my rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. We should watch him. In fact, if you, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will get a whole theology about what God is like by following Jesus around. Follow Jesus around. How did he respond? How did he act? What did he do? See, I have people tell me all the time, well, I don't think God really wants to heal people. I say, now, I, I think we all can admit, you know, the elephant in the room is we prayed for people that were sick and they didn't get well. But when you say God doesn't want to heal people, I say, well, let's follow Jesus around. Did Jesus want to heal people? Yeah. Did Je- was Jesus successful at healing people? Yes. The only time we see that he really was not successful is in his own hometown. And when he was done, he, he, you kind of picture him doing this saying, oh my goodness. And it says he marveled at their unbelief. And said he could not do many mighty things there except heal a few sick folk. Now, most churches would think they had a breakthrough if they could heal a few sick folk. But Jesus considered it a failure because they were full of unbelief. And so when we follow Jesus around, we see him 
doing amazing things, and then we can say, okay, God, I, I want to trust you for that. Was Jesus kind to the hateful? Yes, he was. Was Jesus stern with those who were self-righteous and, and uh, trying to trick and trap him? Sure he was. We see all that come into play as we follow the life of Jesus. So we're finally getting to our topic today. Our topic is discipleship. That's what we want to talk about, discipleship. We are in a growth process of discipleship. In the months remaining in this year, we're going to do our best leadership and people of the church to figure out ways for us to really get everyone involved in some type of discipleship training program. Now, that may be different among many of us. Some of you may say, I'm actually involved in a discipleship training program. Hip, hip, hooray, great, good. I'm for that. I'm supporting it. But everyone should be a follower of Jesus. And if Jesus stops and picks up a rock, we're going to stop and pick up a rock. If we go with Jesus and he gets a burger with fries and pickle and mustard, we're going to order a burger with fries, pickle, and mustard. I don't like pickle and mustard, you may say. I don't care. If Jesus orders pickle and mustard, you're going to order pickles and mustard on your burger. We're going to be followers of Jesus. See what he does. How does he do it? There's a couple of discipleship opportunities right now at church. One's going on right here, right now. I am more, you might notice this, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. So you can learn, and you can bring things to jot down notes, or use your smart device. And you may say, i got a great mind. And I'm not saying you don't have a great mind, but I can tell you what I do know about all of our great minds. They forget things pretty fast. They forget things. I'll tell you how bad it can be. One day, I was right back there. Bob Kent was sitting there, and I'd been gone, or he had been gone. The family had been gone the previous week. And so he came in. He said, hey, he said, Tracy, he said, I wasn't able to be here last week. What did you preach on? And I went, uh, uh. I said, boy, I hate when people ask me that. And uh, I could not think of what I preached on. I remember thinking to myself, if I can't remember what I preached on, what's the chance of you all remembering it? So help yourself remember by taking notes, writing things down, jotting things down, maybe re-listening, thinking through, asking questions, doing whatever it takes to get the word in you. The second thing is our adult Sunday school. We've always had a wonderful Sunday school class. And uh, Larry Shelp and Evelyn led it for years. It was wonderful. Larry's on a break. I never ask him when he's going to get off the break. Maybe never. I don't know, but we'll keep pestering him. And... Uh, and right now, Gary Miller's teaching. I, I kind of hate that I said, hey, if you're going to Israel, you should really attend this class. Because really, I want to scratch that and say it like this. You should go to this class. Doesn't matter whether you're going to Israel or not. Uh, flights are really cheap today uh, getting to Israel, I can tell you that. Actually, I'm sure there are no flights getting into Israel right now. But going through the book of Matthew and following the life of Jesus is just a whole Bible degree itself. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of those things. So I want to share with you a, a powerful practice that I've applied in my life, and I'll pass it along to you. It's called the power of plodding. For clarity's sake, plodding with a D, not plotting. Now, you don't need to be doing a bunch of plotting, but do some plodding. 
And I just saw this couple, they're, they're up on a, a mountain, it looks like. looks kind of like the Smoky Mountains kind of thing. I can tell you this. They got up there not by sprinting. They didn't sprint up there. They, my old-fashioned word for it, they plodded their way up there. They took one step at a time, and they worked their way. And you'd be shocked. It can be tiring to do that. I remember when I was in high school, and, I mean, I played sports and stuff. I was probably the best shape I ever was in my life. We went to Brown County. I'm not talking about a mountain. We went to Brown County and hiked some trails, and I was like, whew, this is exhausting. So it can be tiring, but you plod along. You take a little break if you need to. Get some nourishment, plod on, keep moving. And if you keep plodding along, you'll be shocked how far you make it in life. You'll be shocked how much you'll learn, how much you'll grow. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and you keep moving forward, and you will keep growing. Paul did call Christianity a race, but he didn't call it a sprint. It's more like a marathon. And so we just keep plodding, we just keep that steady pace, and we become fruitful. Mark 4 kind of talks about this. Mark 4, Jesus is speaking. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is another thing I want to teach you and remind me of. I want you to think about that. Jesus is speaking. Should that get our attention? Yes. Jesus says something like this. He doesn't say, hey, if you want to know the best place to get some baklava, if you'll just go down this road. No. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. That ought to perk up our ears. This is what the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus is speaking. He says something profound. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Here it is. A man scatters seed on the ground. He loves illustrations about seed scattering. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel and the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. Sickle's a cutting device for harvesting stuff. He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What's happening? That, that farmer is sowing seed. And God is going to do something the farmer can't do. The farmer can't make the seed die and come back to life differently? Hmm. The farmer can't make it rain. The farmer can't make the sun shine on it. The farmer can't, the farmer can't do anything. He's not, whether, he can get up and, and stare at it all night long and worry over it, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help anything. And so here, all God, God's at work. Get that word sown in your heart and God will start doing some things. The word of God needs consistently. Now the farmer is sowing. You're your farmer. You need to consistently sow the word of God in your life. And then it will slowly begin to produce. And then a harvest will come, and that's good. And then you'll be fruitful, and then you'll enjoy the blessings of life. But I want you to think with me here. The farmer is taking care of a farm, and he's stewarding the farm. So he doesn't sow the seed in, in April and then decide he's not going to do anything or even look around his farm until June. 
he is looking at it. I mean, you go out in June and go, wow, the crop's coming up, but so is a whole field of weeds too. And if he has livestock, he's taking care of that. He's stewarding, he's managing, he's caring for that farm. You're a farm. Your life is a farm. Your life has life potential in it. Sow the seed in there and watch God do amazing things. We need to manage our hearts. We need to manage our heads. We need to be reliable and consistent because we want to enjoy a bountiful, beautiful harvest of all the blessings of God. And when we cling to the word of God and do the word of God, the Bible says we'll be blessed in all of our deeds. So I want to encourage us, let's get started today. You say, I don't know where to start. Well, you're here today right now. This is a good starting place. But I'm serious. If you're not careful, I, I know how this works. I've done it. You're, you're not, you are listening. I get that. But these are just worldly statistics. You can sit there and listen. And I forget what it is. But like in a few hours, you forget like 50% of it. I, I don't know what the stats are totally because I can't remember. I've read it many times. But something like within a week, you've forgotten like 97, 98% of it. If all you went through was just listening. So I encourage you, jot things down. I always did well on tests because when I sat at a lecture, I would jot things down. And a lot of times, I never even had to go back and look at the notes. There was something uh, that locked in my brain. Now, your brain might be different than mine, but what helped lock it into my brain was getting more things involved. So if I was hearing, and if I was writing, and I was looking at what I was writing, it would help lock it in. So I want to encourage you, lock things in. I don't know what method you use, but lock it in, or you will forget 97 to 98% out within a week. And I would encourage you too, I don't mind you having daily devotion as well, but I would encourage you to be either like you are right now, here now, for the camaraderie and the community of that, the Sunday school class on Sunday morning, building relationships and getting to know people. And you may say, hey, I attend a Bible study somewhere else, but there's community. I like that. I like that community. Now, nothing wrong with you having private, quiet, devotional time with God. I do that almost every morning. By the way, you may say, you don't do it every morning? I probably don't. That's another thing, too. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to plod along tomorrow. Okay? Now, I'll beat myself up a little more if I go, I haven't done it for 320 days. No, but every now and then, something may get in the way, but just keep moving forward and keep going forward. And we're going to start managing our lives. We're going to start managing our spiritual life. And then we're going to do something. We're going to give respect to the word of God, to the wisdom of God. And we're going to take advantage of any opportunities to get that sown into our hearts, keep a hold of it, and start practicing it, practicing it, practicing it, practicing it. Practicing it sometimes is fun. Practicing it sometimes is not fun. Doesn't matter. Helps us grow. Say, so what do you mean it's not fun sometimes? Sometimes, the Bible, you know the Bible says a kind word turns away wrath? When somebody's just wrathed on you, and you go, oh, I can't wait till they take a breath because I'm going to tell them what I think about them. And then the Holy Spirit says, the wrath of man does not bring about the righteous work of God, and a kind word turns away wrath. You go, I got a good speech in the back of my head, and now I'm just going to have to submit that to God. 
but I don't want to do that. No, you probably don't. But I've taught this before in detail, but I'm just going to mention it in passing. What happens is the, the system's designed that you reap what you sow. So that person is sowing wrath, and the rightful response in the natural is they should reap your wrath. That's the natural. But you and I aren't natural. You and I are supernatural. And so now I say, hold on, I'm going to do the word of God because Jesus said through the word that we're not called to curse, we're called to bless so we might obtain a blessing. So what's that mean? Wrath. I'm getting ready to give wrath. God says, don't do it. You're trying to take all my fun. I got a great zinger I'm going to give him. I could, no, he's not trying. He wants you to walk in blessing. And so you're going to figure out something. Maybe it's to walk away quietly. Maybe it's, I don't know what it will be, but you're not going to curse because you're not going to keep that cycle going. You're going to bless so you can be blessed. Now, if every one of us failed with that, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all have. That's okay. Dust it off, shake it off, and learn our lessons from the word so we might be doers of the word so the devil won't lie to us anymore and we can live a rich and satisfying life, the one Jesus came to give us. Let's pray.